The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, there we go. Okay. Okay, so you're recording on your end. Alan's recording on his. I'm recording on mine. And, of course, my Pro Tools crashed. So here it's... (laughs) Stand by. Uh, Hang on. You wonder why we told you you need a drink. (laughs) And we had a buffer overload, which is weird. Ah, God, because you were were doing stuff in the background. That's Too many Fs. Too many Fs. There is an F in buffer. I've split my screen into three pieces. I've got top left corner, uh, you guys, top uh, bottom left corner, Pro Tools, and then the right side is dedicated to the content of the show because I cannot trust Pro Tools. I have a picture of my cat. You're so high tech, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right, stand by. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The music video, as we know it anyway, is pushing, let's say, 40 years old. Doesn't look a year over 39. Tarzan Dan from the Hit List joins us to talk about the rise and fall of music television. Plus, how to talk to a rock star. Or how to get one to pinch your ass. It was his ass, he said she pinched. I think it was his arm. Oh. (laughs) And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Five... Four. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. At geeksandbeats.com, we asked Amber Healy to put together a really interesting collection of stories about the evolution of music in the world of television and have you seen this she went to town she did go to town on this i'm uh very pleased that uh, we have such good people on our side oh it's fantastic so we thought you know with the i think it's with the 39th anniversary of music television with the launch of mtv that you know we need to look back at this so she went back but so did we we went back into our rolodex and pulled up one of our (laughs) favorite guys in the music video business tarzan dan from the hit list and before we get into this week's number one what was number one in 1995 at this time jamie walters and hold on no kidding eh all right number one this week they were born in of course australia daniel and uh, darren born in the 70s and their idols were duran duran check out savage garden on the hit list Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. How are you doing? It's so cool to be here. I'm shocked. It's always weird. It's like, it's like, hey, we'd like to have you on, and we'd like to chat. And I'm like, uh, okay, uh, do I owe you money? You know, or something like that. That's a good question to start with. Anytime yeah. somebody comes out of the work from the past, it's like, have they run into hard times, and they're coming back for that That's 15 it. bucks they owe me? Yeah, I know. I actually, I have a story about that Glass Tiger, Al from Glass Tiger. This is so funny because... Alan it, Frew, right? No, not the uh, Al Connolly, um, oh, okay. the other Al. Um, uh, he and uh, Sam Reed came in on the show, on my afternoon show. And it was funny. Uh, they just said, hey, man, we're in town. Can we come in? And I was like, oh, that's so cool. You know, because just to have that relationship and stuff like that. 
Sure enough, the very first time I met Glass Tiger was when Don't uh, Forget Me When uh, I'm Gone came out, and it was in Calgary. And that's the irony is I'm, I'm in, back in Calgary again. And uh, then I remembered that Al had asked me if he could borrow 10 bucks because he needed to buy smokes. And so anyways, I was like, dude, do you remember that time? I need that money back now. And he literally goes into his pocket and he's like, I owe you. And he remembered. Yeah. It's so funny, right? Like so weird. So I, 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 you just kind of made that fire at the right time, I guess. So we're not looking for money here, but we're looking for information. <laughs> okay. And, and, and quite frankly, um, uh, how old do you feel that we're talking about MTV turning 40 in a year? There, there are days where well, I, I went bike riding today and I felt 100. So, <laughs> and, and I walk in and my wife's like, man, you look like you're in pain. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're not celebrating any part of this. Uh, there are there are hurts uh, that I didn't know that were going to come with age. But uh, but uh, you know what? I what I love about uh, the fact that when you tell me that that MTV is now 39 years old, it's one of those things where, you know, she my wife made me put these things on the wall because it's history and i didn't really have anything on my walls in my office and she goes yeah but you know like if my finger right here that's mc hammer that's weird al yankovic um and and paul abdul down here and and it just it's so funny like um over my shoulder here 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 that's destiny's child like to be part of the uh the dynamic that was the connection to all this great music and to be the conduit uh, to all these great memories that people have. Because we know that over time, memories are built in music. And you hear a song and it triggers something, it opens a door somewhere inside here, and you go, wow, it's like I'm, I'm there, I'm at that time. Or you have a, a very distinct memory of something like that. And so when I hear that it's 39 years old, yeah, okay, MTV, that really does feel painful, especially if you see some of the old videos. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, hammer pants should never come back, okay? My, 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 my. Ever, ever, ever. Well, um, they're all coming back. You know that. I know. You have the skinny jeans and all that. We can't get Alan into skinny jeans. <laughs> no, because, because we can't get Alan into skinny jeans. <laughs> Yeah. There's a physical reason for that. Yeah, 40 years, not the only thing that's passed on, on TV. But at the, on the website, um, we mentioned that Amber had really gone to town. Like she went so far as to go back as the year 1894. Wow. The potential first ever music video, which was a pair of sheet music publishers, Edward Marks and Joe Stern. They hired an electrician named George Thomas with some musicians to promote a song, and they would have the song played while images were put up on a screen. Green. But then she jumps ahead to the 1920s and then into the 1940s. But wouldn't you say that music television really kind of started in 1952 with Dick Clark and American Bandstand? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, you know, when you look at somebody like him or... Um you know uh, some of the some of the people that were like him, uh, Robin uh, Red, um, Red Story, no, sorry, no, no. no in in Canada, 
Uh, Robinson. Red, Red Robinson. Thank you. There you go. In Vancouver. The guy who the Beatles swore at. <laughs> you know, how do you, if I could have that on my resume, I would, I, it would be the first thing I would post. Um, these people were, again, just a, an ex, they were the, the groundbreakers, the people who brought it to the masses. And, and it was kind of like back in the, in the day, you know, if you had a, a circus, which a lot of this really is, um, you have a ringmaster. And those ringmasters did, you know, give you that connection to the artists that you could never have had. So that's why they used to tour with all the artists as well. And they'd come out on stage, right? And they'd be like, hey, how are you doing? Everybody would be like, oh, I listened to that guy on the radio. I heard him. And that's why, you know, like, or Dick Clark with American Bandstand on television, um, you know, because he started on radio and then went went to TV. And and uh, I think that uh, that is, is, you know, you nailed it with that, is that he was that guy. And, so there would be Dick Clark touring with his caravans, right. Alan Freed touring with his caravans, then by the time we get to Ed Sullivan, that we have Elvis Presley on TV for the first time, we have any number of, of rock and rollers. Uh, so that, I guess, kind of qualifies as music television. Because back then, back before MTV, we never saw our heroes. We only read about them. We saw some pictures in a magazine. And we gleaned what we could from liner notes and artwork. That was it. To see them in the flesh actually moving around on a screen was an amazingly big deal. Oh, that's what they look like. Oh, that's how they dress. Oh, that's how they talk. Cool. I want to be like that. Well, I think to your point, at the time, the most watched television event in history, and still to this day, one of the most watched television events, is uh, Elvis Presley um, with Dick Clark and on uh, Ed Sullivan's show, The Beatles. Absolutely. Beatles, Ed Sullivan, February 1964. I think 76 million people watched the Beatles on TV that night. And, and I, think I think there were only 76 million people on the planet. <laughs> Very close, yeah. So that was one of those uh, epical uh, moments in, in, in pop culture history that people will talk about for, for decades from now. I think that what happens is, is, again, what we've talked about, people can remember where they were. You know, uh, if the Beatles were on TV... You know where you were at that time, if that if you were alive at that time, or you were around, or you experienced it, um, and and not unlike you know uh, uh, you know the nineteen seventy two hockey goal, you know for Team Canada, or or the two thousand ten uh, you know Crosby goal, there there are benchmarks like I was saying with music. Music has this connection to our timeline that always seems to continue. And you can always go back to it, and it'll always bring you back. So, like, you know, with me working here in Calgary at Q107, and we play you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and you'll we just did a thing called 20 Years in 20 Days. And what it was was a different year each day. We played the best of the best. And what happened was is you were hearing little stories about songs, but at the same time, people would be like, they'd be texting in or they'd be calling and going, this song was the song I made out to at such and such, you know, when I left E.T. after I saw it in the theater and we went and parked, this was playing on the radio or whatever it is. So I think that you're you're exactly uh, right in, when you say that there are those certain things along the way that people will uh, connect to because of time events. So let's then, Alan, talk about 
really the precursor to MTV. Um, and with Black Lives Matter and things like that, where we're talking more and more about the contributions of the black community to a whole bunch of different industries, can we not talk about Soul Train? Yeah, but before, oh. we get, before we get to Soul Train, we have to remember what the Beatles did in the mid-1960s. They stopped touring, and they stopped appearing on television live. So what they began to do was film short clips that they would send to the TV stations, to ITV, Channel 4, uh, BBC, in lieu of them actually performing. So beginning in about 65, 66, we begin to see all these short, fanciful films built around Beatles songs. So that builds... Then we get into the early 1970s, and we have certain artists, Dr., um, sorry, um, Captain Beefheart being one of them, that would create these short films for uh, record company conventions. So people who went to those conventions could see what the artists on the label sounded and looked like. And then we get into the idea of, of all these different TV shows. So there's Soul Train, there's Bert Sugarman's Best of the Midnight Special, there's whatever we saw on Saturday Night Live. So yeah, there, there was a time in the 1970s when we had these music showcase programs that, again, brought people into the tent. This is what they look like, this is what they sound like, this is how they dress. Did anybody watch Solid Gold for the music? There's another one. Uh, and no, <laughs> nobody, nobody watched In Canada, I, you know, I, I never watched Solid Gold or Soul Train. You know, Boogie was the, the Canadian one, I right, think it was. Right, they made yeah. fun of that on SCTV yeah. with Mel's Rock Pile. <laughs> Welcome once again to Mel's Rock Pile. I'm Rock and Mel Slurp, and we're going to have a lot of fun in the Rock Pile today. You, you watch that for the dancing. You watch that to see what kids your age were doing and how they were dressing and, and what that cultural experience was. That was that memory-building moment that you were talking about, Dan. Yeah, it, I mean, I think that that's a big part of, you know, if you even move it past that, and then you had Electric Circus on Much Music. And or as you, my wife and you used to be, call it, because she worked there, and she would have to suffer the kids, the, the, the girls in the washroom every time she would go <laughs> from the newsroom into the washroom and back. She'd be like, oh, it's another night of Electric Cervix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Really, that's what it was. The camera shots were right up the hood. Oh, man, that was... <laughs> <laughs> then well, there I'm was... the only guy willing to go out on a limb on yeah. that. Oh, Dan's mic doesn't work anymore for some reason. Bye-bye. <laughs> I was fascinated, Alan, by what you just explained, is that the, the actual genesis of the music video itself wasn't necessarily geared towards the public as much as it was geared towards the record industry to get people to play these artists. And they were these encapsulated four and five minute, well, I guess back in the 60s and 70s, they weren't four or five minute songs. They were probably two and a half to three and a half minutes. Right. Songs. So we had shows in the UK like the Old Grey Whistle Test, Top of the Pops and so on that would either have people on miming, which people hated, artists hated, or they would send in these videos if they had the budget. And that's where the Beatles came in. And this is also why when MTV signed on in 1981, so much of the library was English, was British, because they had a very long tradition of creating these short film clips based on songs. And when MTV signs on, they realize that there aren't a lot of non-British acts that have been doing this. So when MTV signed on, they had 250 videos in their library, and 30 of those videos were by Rod Stewart. <laughs> That is a fact. Let, let's get to, to the hit list. But before we do, I would like to know the origin story 
of Tarzan, Dan? It was Calgary. It was radio. I was uh, Dan Freeman. And a bunch of us radio guys decided to go out to a bar. and We were hanging out and doing what we were doing. It's amazing how many stories begin with. <laughs> a bunch of us decided to go out to a bar. <laughs> and, and I was not inebriated. I had my faculties. Um, but uh, what happened was is somebody had uh, thought that my show was very untamed. It was like a jungle. And I said, oh, what's in the jungle? And this lady said, oh, lions and tigers and cheetahs. And I went, oh, Tarzan Dan, nice to meet you. And uh, anyway, uh, it was Andre Mazenov, um, uh, and he had actually said, I'm going to call you that on the radio tomorrow. And I was like, no, 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 you did, no. And so when he introduced me on the air that day, he said, your new name is Tarzan Dan. We've all decided. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, yeah, no, Tarzan Dan. Tarzan Dan Freeman. What station was this? That was at AM 106 in Calgary back in the day. So, uh, and I was a young buck. I was one of those kids who, who thought he knew more than he really did in the industry. And oh, imagine that! None no, of us went really. to that stage. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, way too confident. You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's like, wow, I could be insane, and people. Well, actually, there's a true story behind this. My mom was the one who convinced me to get into radio because I was a hypertonic kid. And she said, if you get into radio, people will think you're normal. And <laughs> you know, it's like, thanks, Mom. And it worked out to be a great career. So she obviously knew what she was talking about. Clearly. So at, at what point uh, the hit list was 91? 91. So uh, you did well, it for late, six years. Yeah, I did it till 97. Yeah, so that would make sense. I was on YTV prior to that. I was on Rock and Talk with Lori Hibbert. And uh, oh, so, guys, wow. Like, I yeah. thought about that for a while. Right? And I just saw her. You know you know who she's married to, right? She's no. married. Okay, so if you, you know. Uh, um, uh, so, for those who don't know who Lori Hibbert is, Lori Hibbert is. Lori used to be a host on YTV. She's written an, uh, numerous bestsellers now, which is really, really cool. And she's doing really, really well. Her husband is Gelman. The guy from, uh, used to be Regis and... and uh, no! Yeah, Regis and Kathy Lee, and he's been producing it all this time, to now uh, Ryan Seacrest and uh, Kelly Ripa. Yeah. Holy crap! Yeah, I right? did not know that. So she, she uh, was amazing, and I was uh, doing record reviews on her show, uh, just like uh, Joey Vendetta, remember that? Yeah. Uh, so he and I were doing those, and then what happened was is... They said, we were thinking about doing a countdown show, and we're not sure what the name will be, but uh, we'd like you to audition for it. But everybody, it's an open audition, so you got to come and audition. And uh, I'm thinking, with this face, really? Like, why would I go? I haven't got a chance in hell. And because I, I always thought I was kind of a goofy looking kind of, you know, weird kid. And that was just me. Did you have the shaved head at the time? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, did, which is crazy, right? Yeah. And at that time, it was so odd to have a shaved head. So for the first couple of years, I actually wore a baseball hat, uh, simply because at that time, uh, it was, you know, if you had a, a shaved head, you were probably not a very nice person. And, yeah, you were uh, called a skin head. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, so you get stopped on the subway and stuff like that. And I just shaved my head because I was losing my hair as a, as a young guy. And one of the funniest comments in an interview that was in a newspaper one time was that he's such a nice guy. It's just too bad he shaves his head to, uh, to disguise that he's going bald. 
And I wrote the editor and I said, can I ask a question? If I shave my head, am I not completely bald? Like, think about this for a second. It's like, I choose. I embrace it. Get over it. And I just thought that was such a weird thing to mention in, in a music video host interview. I was like, what the huh? Anyway, nonetheless, so I still shaved my head. Um, where am I going with this? Uh, so, yes, I did have a shaved head. Uh, but I went in. I auditioned. I got a callback with a bunch of other people. Um, PJ Phil was one of the callbacks. Um, and there were just numerous people that had been there for the callback. And then I was uh, at CFTR at the time in Toronto. And uh, working with my uncle Dan. There you go, right? And Dan Williams in the afternoon. Right? Was it mid? No, Dan. Dan wasn't there at that time. Actually, oh, it was, was he not? No, Tom Rivers was doing afternoons, and okay. Jesse and Gene were doing mornings, if I'm not correct. And yeah. then I was doing evenings. Best and, way to get into the business is nepotism. <laughs> and then I, what I happened was I I went down to the promo uh, director's office and I said, "We are giving away that Janet Jackson jacket." It's signed. Can I borrow it for the afternoon? And so he goes, yeah, sure, okay. And uh, so what I did was I took it to the audition, and in the audition I went, I was like, hey, how you doing now? What you want to do is watch for me to swing through one of your videos, and when I uh, do, write down what the video is and send it in, and I'll draw one next week, and somebody's going to win this Janet Jackson jacket. And, uh, and So wait a minute. You turned your, your audition into a clip that you could use anywhere to promote your radio station. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and people have said to me um, that uh, it, the jump from radio to TV is not as difficult as it is from um, radio to, uh, or, sorry, from TV to radio. And I got to agree. We are told to do things inside the confines of our abilities and inside a time, you know, whether you're introing a song or whatever. So a lot of times um, that was just built into our personality anyway. Then we threw ourselves into it and we were who we were. And uh, so when they just said, uh, you know, Tarzan, just do Tarzan Dan, the guy on the radio. This was easy. And uh, little did I think I was going to get a, a phone call that afternoon after the callbacks. And they were like, it's yours if you want it. And I literally went crazy. I hung up the phone. I was jumping around like a maniac. I was crying. I was so excited. And I couldn't believe that this nerdy kid. And I said, why'd you pick me? And they said, well, because you just seem like somebody that people would, you know, at that time, because we didn't have email, would write. And, and so we did about 66,000 pieces of mail, mail in for people to try and win uh, every year. And uh, and I signed a postcard to every kid. I don't even oh, know what. It, yeah, I don't even know what it cost to to do that. But when uh, you know when e email came around, they were very happy because it was <laughs> it was a little bit easier. But we still did the mail-ins, and to have that, I think that that was what really mattered. It was not unlike what we did with radio. I thought, you know, if we can take something tangible like a, a postcard with my picture on it i can sign it and sign it to them and say hi they're gonna hold on to that and they're gonna go wow that person not unlike again we go right back to what we were talking at, uh, about in the beginning if you have connection to celebrity or music or something like that what happens is is they feel validated that they like you 
And so I think that that's, you know, I get messages all the time. People will send me a picture of their, their hit list CD or a postcard that I sent them or an autograph I gave them. And I'm like, what? And here, you know, like to, I interviewed Rain Maida back in, was it November, December last year? And he was talking about how he was obsessed with Madonna and watched the hit list every week. You know, and it's weird wow. to to meet these people who grew up watching you on television and you seem to have some kind of, like I said, you were the conduit to all these good things. I'll give you a perfect example of this. I did a Zoom call, sort of a meet and greet kind of thing. You know, maybe it'll lead to a client relationship down the road. I don't know. But I mentioned that I have this podcast with Alan Cross and the woman was like, oh my God, I love Alan Cross. <laughs> uh, and it was just like, it was just nonstop Alan. And it was awesome because now I know I've got a listener for life on the big show. And actually, Alan, you might have have some interesting insight into this because Dan says something funny about that transition from a radio into television. Uh, my aunt, who was the receptionist at CFTR, <laughs> again, you really back were to the nepotism. No kidding. Yeah. Um, she had told me, she had gone on years later to, to work in television, and she had said to me when I was in radio and making the move into television, she said, radio people make the best television people because they get worked like dogs and they're accustomed to the workload. And for performance reasons, they're, they succeed. The only, Alan? Thing, the only thing that we have trouble with is where do we look and what do we do with our arms? <laughs> and, of course, what do we wear? <laughs> yeah, that like, too, right? What do I do with my hands? <laughs> I, I know. Can you speak up, Ricky? The car, they handled real good. I felt like I was on a spaceship. And uh, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Uh, be good just to hold them down by okay. your side. Yeah, great. Well, we're real happy. And that's what I always found when, when I did some television. I always found it difficult trying to I always found it difficult with with the whole body language thing because when you're on radio you can dress however you want you can look in whatever direction you want you can uh, you know your body language can reflect nothing or everything yeah perfect example look at the three of us on this screen which I know. one of us is the TV guy you the rest of us I mean I'm 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 slouching I'm looking off uh, I'm looking down at my dog here I, I how do we get onto this? I, I agree. Anyway, it, it's it's very difficult. It's it's easier for radio people to move to television than it is for television people to move to radio. Because the other thing too, with television people, you have a lot of people helping you do what you're doing. Yep. With radio, if you make a mistake, well, everybody knows about it. You can't blame anybody but yourself, right? <laughs> Uh, Don't you love it when you do something really stupid, like you just your brain falls out of your head when you're on the radio, and then somebody calls you and goes, so are you having a tough day, huh? And it's just like, wow, I heard some dead air. Is everything okay? And it's like, and you're like, you know, I don't come to your work and tell you that you're an idiot. I know I'm an idiot. It's like being a goalie. When you make a mistake, right? a red light goes on behind you, and the crowd screams at you. <laughs> You know, that was always my favorite thing. Um, back in the early days of radio, when, when I was first in, in radio, there was a guy who uh, had a, a radio newsletter that would go around. And we, we would all listen or, or all read what this guy had written and think, you know, you armchair son of a bitch. Where do you get off <laughs> telling us what we can and can't do, how we do our jobs? You know, we, we are turning this into a craft. And, and I think for, for critics, like uh, drive-by critics of radio or television, they're, they're not interested or they're not aware that what is done for them 
is a craft. And and Dan, you do it every day uh, on the radio. Alan, you do it every day on the radio. It's the same sort of thing. This this is a performance medium. You are sitting in a room by yourself, talking into a piece of metal, hanging in front of your face. You were trying to create a conversation between you and somebody that you cannot see, and you do that for hours on end. If this were any other circumstance, they would medicate you and put you away. <laughs> I think most of my listeners are that. No, I was just kidding. Just <laughs> Wait, no, 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 you're not. And that's the funny thing about it. Back to my lovely and talented wife. She's got this great phrase uh, about uh, a complaint. Because you mentioned that um, you got picked for video hits. Video hits was on CBC, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, was it? No, hang on. There's good rocking tonight. Oh, yes, and video hits. Video hits, yeah. Video hits was, I can't remember her name. Oh, that's so Yeah, nuts. that was. Dan Gallagher did. Taylor. Samantha did Dan, Taylor, thank you. And there then you Dan Samantha Gallagher Taylor. did it after her, didn't he? That's yes, right. He right. Okay, so um, <laughs> I, 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 I had this flub. I, I referenced your competition, and now it's completely out of my head. Whatever. Uh, oh, hit list. The. the, the do we want to talk about what happened to music television? Because I, I saw this great meme the other day that said that showed what the what the world would be like if MTV was still playing music videos. <laughs> and of course, it's a utopia because we now know that MTV long ago stopped playing music videos. The music television stopped being a thing and it became more of a reality television experience. I don't know why. What happened? Why did we stop Playing music videos. Dan, you go first. I have the other answer. Okay. <laughs> because there were other mediums by which to get it where they would receive it faster. Um, so in, you know, the world that we live in or the world that developed, uh, radio is still very instant. But at the same time, a band can drop new music without any promotion. And I think that it's cheaper and it's uh, it's somewhat more effective. Uh, I do. I think that there's still a place for performance based. I mean, we've seen it with the whole COVID thing that we've gone through that people playing at home has been awesome. Like when you see, you know, whether it's Van Halen or the bare naked ladies or whoever who have picked up, uh, you know, their instruments and played as a band from each of the different places. So I think that people still want to see that they want to see live performances. They want to see a screw up. Um, they also want to see uh, a host that loves interviewing. And I think that, uh, you know, that's true to whether it's, you know, like uh, last year interviewing Rain Maida. And we talked about all kinds of funny stuff, like real stuff, funny stuff, stuff that wasn't the typical question. And, uh, and, okay, and, okay, and okay, so right. what I'm going to say is, is that the reason that um, music videos are no longer on TV is because they can monetize it a different way. All right. Alan, I want your answer. And then I want to come back to interviewing techniques. All right. Short attention spans. We used to sit around in front of a TV for hours and hours and hours, hoping that our favorite video would come on. Then YouTube and Facebook and other instant on, on demand formats and platforms became available and we no longer had to wait. So there was no point in running video flow anymore because unless you just wanted it on in the background, which to be fair, there are still some channels that do that. Uh, it, it just lost its appeal for its target audience because those young kids, the kind who had time to sit around and wait for their video to come on, 
we're now on computer screens looking at YouTube. Okay, so Dan, you had said something about um, interviewing and the interest in in ask, talking, doing the non-typical interview. Um, when I first got into radio as a radio news reporter, one of the interview techniques that I picked up that proved to be very successful but also very dangerous, was the stupid question. When you're in a scrum with a group of people surrounding a politician or some figure, and you ask the stupidest question around, that guy is going to give you a response that not only explains whatever the circumstance is in a very simple and understandable way, but depending on the tone of voice that you present with your question, you might piss him off and get a really good enraged response. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, a, that's clip gold right there. Now, unfortunately, Unfortunately, that only works when the listener hears only the answer, not the question. Mm. Not very good in a live TV environment. What was your best t- uh, trick to bring uh, a guest out of their shell or to, to really make a, an interview snap? Uh, first of all, let me just say that Alan is one of the best interviewers I've ever oh. seen. I've been a fan forever. I'm not really. I'm not really. Like seriously, dude, you just do it. You you have a gift, and I and many times over have watched or listened and gone, God, if I could be that good. So there, you know, that's a real honest, you know, oh, you deserve it, dude. Um, Larry King, I watched when I was young. And he said, he was talking about how to interview. And uh, I can't remember who was interviewing him. And they said, what is the one trick? And he said, find out something that they can't figure out how you know it. And then let them know at the end of the interview. This worked so many times, I couldn't believe it. But it was like with... um, Give me an example. J-Lo. J-Lo and I are sitting there. We've been having a great time through the beginning of the interview and what have you. And and, uh, and then I said, so tell me the story about the time you ripped your pants and you were hopping a fence on the way to a Menudo concert. She looks at me like, how do you know this? And then she goes, you talked to my mother. I was like, no, I didn't talk to your mother. She goes, who did you talk to? There's only a few people who know that story. You, Who did you talk to? Now, I had talked to Mark Anthony, uh, who at that time they weren't a couple, um, but they were best friends. And so he had been in the radio station a couple weeks earlier, and I said, give me something that you'll never be able to figure out where I know this from. Sure enough, so I, I said, well, if you're nice to me and we have a really good interview, I'll tell you at the end who you can kill. Otherwise, <laughs> and so it was great because she, you, I had her on the edge of her seat. We had so much fun. We had a great time. It was a great interview. Turned out that she skipped school and hopped the fence, ripped her pants on the fence on the way to Menudo because she had a crush on Ricky Martin. And oh, um, if yeah, she you only know, had known. She, yeah. <laughs> so, the, you know, and, and so it just got better and better as I would, you know, give her a little bit more rope. And she's like, how do you know this? This is killing me. Anyway, at the end, I explained that she needed to call Mark Anthony. And I get a text message from Mark Anthony um, maybe a day later going, she wants to kill me. <laughs> and I was like, sorry, but it was awesome. And he goes, no, that's the best part, you know. So, um, you know, like there, or or if you can mess with them, you know, and have some fun. So I remember when Mariah Carey and I, I have this as a clip on my demo, actually, 
uh, from back in the day. And it was the fact that uh, Mariah Carey, um, you know, was Mariah Carey. I mean, she was huge. She was massive. I interviewed her uh, six times. And we always got along really, really well. And it was because of this first thing that I did, which was I sat down on the couch, sat down on the couch and start the interview. And I go, can you do me a favor? Can you just pinch me? I put my arm out like that. I said, can you pinch me? She goes, what are you talking about? And he had always talked about, Larry King had talked about two things. Find out something they don't know. And two, try and break that physical barrier. Because if you can do that, if they'll grab your arm or they'll say something or they'll punch you or whatever it is, they will come to you and give you gold. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I actually had her pinch me. And then she goes, well, what was that about? And I said, you're real. Holy crap. I'm really sitting on this couch talking to the real Mariah Carey. Every guy who locked me in the locker at Leacock in Toronto, take that. And she thought it was hilarious. Later on in the interview, as you know, Alan, uh, when you're doing radio, the beauty of the way we think is like this, right? So um, she had asked me to read lyrics to a song, and the song was Underneath the Stars because it was her favorite song on the album, but it wasn't going to be a hit. And I called it Underneath the Stairs. And so what happened was is she goes, she punches me and she goes, I'm going to put you there after this interview. I can't believe you said that. And I was like, this is the real Mariah Carey. This is the one that everybody loves and uh, and would love to see. And I think that that was the, the gist of where I always went with an interview, whether it was, you know, Spice Girls or Metallica or right. Backstreet Boys or whoever. Make them be them. And, and I, you know, one of the tricks that I always found was um, ask a question that they can't just say yes and no to. As we know, that's that's death in this industry. Um, but uh, if you ask them, what's the one thing you miss when you're on tour? Oh, my mom's cooking or my dog. Well, now all of a sudden you have a million questions that you can connect to. And so that was a Larry King trick. All those things. So, Alan, you're interviewing style couldn't be more different than Dan's, at least as far as presentation is concerned. It's true. What I do is I also had studied Larry King. And one of the things that Larry King was very proud of is not doing prep for the interview because he, he wanted to go in cold, ask a couple of questions just to get the guest warmed up and then listen very closely to their answer. Well, this and, fully explains that time that Jerry Seinfeld went on Larry King, and Larry King made some offhanded comments uh, about how Seinfeld might have been canceled or something. And Seinfeld oh, just right. let him have yeah. it. You gave it up, right? I did. So. They didn't cancel you. You canceled them. You're not aware of this? No, I'm, I'm asking you. You think I got canceled? Are you under the impression uh, that I, I got canceled? You, I hurt you, Jerry? I thought don't, that was pretty well documented. This is, a, is this still CNN? Down. Don't most shows go down a little? Most people do also. There were flaws to this particular technique. <laughs> uh, but but the, you don't go in unprepared. You've no, never no, no, no. I, I never go in unprepared. unprepared. What I do go into is prepared to listen. And mm. I'll, if, I, if I have 15 or 20 questions... And if I'm listening and the conversation is veered off after question three and I never get to ask the other, you know, 15 questions, great. Then it's a good interview because I've get, I got them engaged. And the most important thing that you can do, I think, with an interview subject is to get them to trust you. 
Because if you show that you know what you're doing, you're behaving appropriately, you know the subject matter, if you can get them to that final step, which is getting them to trust you, they'll tell you anything. Absolutely anything. Dan's nodding his head. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember one of the most difficult interviews that I ever was presented with. Everybody was like, oh, you Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. And I was a massive Tears for Fears fan. You like, and me both. Oh, God. I think you and I are the only two really? who know his name <laughs> and how to pronounce it. Um, you know, like him and Kurt Smith, I was like, I, you know, I just could not get enough of their music growing up. And I was so... You know, I was a re- I was that liner note reader guy. You know, knew who everybody was on every song. Who who was a backup vocalist or a guitarist or a guest vocalist? And so I was just like, oh my god, I get to interview him. And um, and I was told very specifically that he was a very difficult interview because he didn't like being interviewed by people who didn't know anything about the music. And uh, the funny thing was, is I knew tons about the music and it was kind of odd because of the fact that i was such a fan that um i actually became the fan doing the interview instead of the nutty kooky radio guy who you know at that time doing tarzan dan i was a lunatic and 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 asked the silly questions and the stupid questions and and got known for, you know, doing the, the 60 second interview, uh, the instant interview where, you know, the last question was, is it an innie or an outie? So, I mean, you can imagine, you can imagine the, the credibility level is, you know, iffy at best, but to interview him and then t- him to say at the very end, it's a, you know, I, I always find this as a, a great compliment. I think Alan will, uh, will agree with me is when an artist gets to a point where they like you so much that they ask you to come to the show so they can meet you. Um, or I would like to hit this happened to me a couple of times, Santana, uh, Frankie Valley. Um, and in this case as well. And he said, you need to come to the show. I need to meet you. And I was like, I'm going to meet Roland Orzabal. I got to have my picture taken. Of course I dressed like an idiot back then. So, you know, the picture I have, he's really cool. And I think I had, I had uh, Daffy Duck on my shirt or something, <laughs> you know, like I'm like a meeting this guy. But at that time, everybody was wearing the jean shirt with the Daffy Duck on it, embroidered. And I'm like, I should just Photoshop that out because it looks so stupid. But it's one of those pictures I, I you know, so um, that kind of connection that you have, as Alan talks about, is, uh, is, is sometimes really special because you end up being somebody that, you 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 know them, and then years later you'll run into them again, and they still know you. Or they there's that that really positive vibe. Um, have you have you ever had that like Alan, where where you uh, will interview somebody, and then they're they're like, you got to come to the show, oh, or yeah. or they'll call you when they get into town, and they're like, dude, do you have tickets? And I'm like, what you're you, is this really who it is on the phone? You know, you because you can't believe that you made that impression ever. Like, and, and the fact that that's, you know, like for us as interviewers is validating. I'll tell you on that point and and to wrap up this conversation, I had that exact same conversation with my daughter in the middle of an indigo when I hung up the phone, when you called me (laughs) and I'm like, I can't believe I just took a call from Tarzan Dan. And of course my 14, 14 year old went, (laughs) 
<laughs> and this has been fascinating. We, we were intending to break this show up into a two-parter because um, the, the anniversary of music television is not the only thing that's happening this month. Airplane turned 40 this year. And I know I both know. you guys are huge fans. So let's just end this on one airplane trivia question for you. Okay. All right. You guys ready okay. for this? Yep. Go. Yeah. Are we are we against each other or are we? Yes. Oh. oh. Okay. We'll, we'll, right. How do we we'll do buzz in? Three, we'll do three questions. Okay. Go. Okay. Airplane was almost a direct parody of which 1957 movie? Flight into Danger. Uh, Negative. Airport. Zero hour. Oh. oh. It was so close. They actually had the film on the set while they were filming so they could match the show. Wait a second. Are you hang kidding? On, hang on, hang on. Requiring hang on. them to buy the rights to the film so that they wouldn't get sued. Surely you must be kidding. <laughs> hang on. I'm. <laughs> I'm don't serious. call me Shirley. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> hang on. Uh, what? Uh, you believe me? No, no, I read check, it on the I'm internet. It must, must be must true. Must be true, right? Ah, ah, ah. Okay, hang on. Zero Hour was an adaptation of Arthur Haley's original 1956 uh, corporation called Flight into Danger. Uh, hang on. Was it based on... You're not getting the point, no, my friend, neither of no, you. No, 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 shut up. I am How could you possibly be fans of the show? Okay. Um... Kareem Abdul Jabbar was. No, oh, here we go. I know this. No. I know this. I know this. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that Flight into Danger was the Arthur Haley novel that was the basis of the movie Zero Hour. Ah. But they didn't base it upon the the book. They based it upon Zero All right, Hour. Shut up. Okay. Next question. <laughs> shut up. For shut up. Okay. Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Okay. 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 He insisted on an extra $5,000. I know this. Oh, on I, top of the $30,000 salary, for what reason? I have I, no idea. Can I say it? He, no. uh, he was, his agent was negotiating, and uh, he needed an extra five grand because he was buying an Oriental rug or something. And that's what he wanted to do with yeah. the money. That's exactly it. I got a, okay. a bonus question for you. Okay. Okay. Do you know who was supposed to play his part? Uh, Pete Rose. Yes, there you go. Oh, wow. But Thank he was playing much. baseball, so he couldn't. There you go. Dan, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on The Big Show. You're very, very welcome. Thank you guys for having me. I can't even believe it. I'm honored. And, oh, and thanks for the for this. Hey, look at that. Hey, I know that guy and that guy. He can be. <laughs> Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. Uh, so we got a big shot cash injection from one of our uh, listeners. Oh, we right. did? Uh, which defined big shot cash injection. Yeah. Michael Hollick, who is a regular Geeks and Beats intern on our intern live streams, meaning if you actually support the show, we'll send you a top secret link so you can actually watch the recording session as it's in progress. Um, he um, said that uh, he just decided to show his appreciation by boosting his Patreon support from a dollar to 20 bucks. Per show? Per show. Good Lord. 
I don't know how long that's going to last, but even just once, yeah. that's that's 19 more shows otherwise we would have had to make to get his $1. Well, that's true, because you just sent me $25 in Patreon profits, <laughs> yes. over the, which is uh, the sum total of, uh, what, a month and a half? $33.04. Yes. Come on, don't which, denigrate it. Right, which um, I, From which all I, the Patreon uh, supporters. Which and, immediately went into my PayPal account, which I immediately took out and bought a Little Caesars pizza today. Did you? Yes. There's a little Caesar's Pizza in my neighborhood that's just open. Is it worth it? I haven't checked it out. Uh, the dogs like the stuffed crust. <laughs> Great. <laughs> what, what a selling point. The dogs like it. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.